<laughs> right, just uh, giving uh, a little bit of uh, some uh, footnotes uh, on last week's uh, shear. I wanted to actually give one more Mara Makam. There's a very good short shear. If you want to listen in the waning hours of uh, the calendar date of uh, January uh, 1st by Rabbi Aryeh Leibowitz. I actually derived some of my sources last week from it. It's called... Uh, um, Yeshu, Yashka, Kratzmach, Cheese and Crackers. First time I heard Cheese and Crackers, it's apparently is an allusion to something or other uh, about uh, the um, secular holiday season. Uh, so it's on why you told. It's a short, uh, very entertaining shir. I wanted to add that to the Mara Makom as something that I think you might uh, enjoy listening to. So uh, the uh, topic for this week is ethical investments. Ethical investments is a very interesting topic. It's kicking off, I mean, in my opinion, it's kicking off a, a series in which I'm getting more into the thick of mumminous uh, topics and how one should best utilize their mum, money, uh, kind of uh, along the lines of uh, the theme of mummon kosher, making sure you have kosher money. I had a relative of Yosh Schwartz, Zechot Sadik Levach, I don't know if I've mentioned him in the past, he wrote over 200 sparrows, so he wrote a safer. He, he, he died without much of the world noticing it because it wasn't reported heavily in the various uh, newspapers. Arut Sheva had a very respectable obituary for him. At one point in time, he was at the um, he was the mashgiach for Yeshiva Itri in uh, Yerushalayim. Very, very exceptional person. One of the founders of Nachal Haredi, actually. Very, very interesting person. And uh, he wrote uh, amongst his 200 svarim, um, most of them were really uh, exceptional svarim, he wrote in Halakhi, he wrote in Hashkafa, so he wrote a sefer called Mamon Kosher, Kosher Money, in which he goes through a lot of different areas that people don't necessarily think about of how to be careful with their money. Uh, so one area that I want to speak about today is kosher investments, and then afterwards I think we have slated in terms of the topics, we have Maisek Sofim, how one should best give their money for stalker, how you calculate Maisek Sofim, what counts for purposes of giving Maisek Sofim, so that would be afterwards. And I also did have a topic that I don't think we got around to. We'll touch upon it a little bit today, hopefully, which is Skarabidram HaAsurim, uh, doing business with forbidden food substances. Uh, what are some of the pitfalls you have to watch out for? And what are some of the rules and regulations regarding commerce in forbidden food? This is a very good safer on this by Rabbi Yosef Kushner, who's uh, the son-in-law of Rabbi Shlomo Miller, uh, Shlita, and uh, we'll hopefully maybe add that after our series on my six So that'll be the next uh, the next several weeks. So this idea of ethical investments has become something of a movement. It's become something of a movement. The idea that when you invest your money to, in the stock market, in mutual funds, uh, in various uh, investments, uh, that uh, shouldn't you be careful uh, to see to it that your money doesn't go to uh, finance or to uh, further child labor or unethical practices uh, or, uh, or factories that are destroying the environment or animal cruelty and things of that variety. This is almost like a secular movement uh, on some level that uh, there should be a notion that uh, people not only are interested in making as much money as possible, but 
also in making the world a better place and that you would want uh, your money to go for the purpose of ethical uses and not unethical uses. So this uh, idea of ethical investment is really uh, on two different levels. One, sort of the question as to whether funds should be created that are devoted uh, to the purpose of uh, only investing the money of uh, those who are providing money into the fund for ethical purposes. And number two, if you're a standalone individual investor, let's say there is no ethical fund per se that you're comfortable with, but nonetheless, you might want to just pick your investments and only make sure that your money goes into places where it will be for ethical purposes. And from a halakhic perspective, it takes on more of a resonance. You also want to make sure that the money is used for halakhically permissible purposes. Um, But when the movement started, it was not necessarily a religious movement, although it was taken over uh, in part by uh, the religious community, even the Christian community, Muslim community, a number of different ethical funds uh, that were created. It's not necessarily consistent with uh, the idea uh, that was promoted by the economist Milton Friedman that uh, the, certainly if you're running a fund, then your job, you have one job, basically, if you're a CEO of a company, if you're a di- board of directors of a company, that's to maximize profits for the shareholders, and period. Obviously, if you're going to do something illegal and uh, you'll be punished by with a penalty of billions of dollars, so you won't be maximizing profits, but that's the main reason not to do it, because you would end up losing money and not maximizing profits, but that should be the sole motivation. Ultimately, it's good for the economy, it's good for everybody, when that is sort of the goal. But the, the idea of ethical investment is that, no, there is another independent, self-standing value, which is that you want your money to go towards ethical uses. Yes. The problem uh, is when you buy stock in the aftermarket, the company's not getting the money. It's going to other shareholders who bought the stock already. So it has no bearing on what the company does. Now, you could argue that they're going to go public because they know later on they can sell it. But the fact is, when I buy stock in the aftermarket, the company doesn't get a dime. Well, this is a question also if I'm buying in the secondary market, and it could be that it doesn't make much of a difference in terms of the company's bottom line. But if I'm just giving funds that I want to be invested in various stocks, so I could target how I want the money ultimately yeah. to be to be invested. So this is part of what we're talking about. I could also decide I'm going to just give to a fund that's devoted to ethical purposes. So there are ethical mutual funds, and uh, there's the idea of the ethical <coughs> investor. I did a little bit of research to see how these funds that are uh, classified or categorized as ethical funds are doing compared to the rest of the market, it seems, by and large, that they have done pretty well. Uh, again, there's a question, is the definition of ethics that they have consistent with our definition of ethics? That's a different story. For example, if the ethical principle is freedom of choice and that means that the money is going to help buy products that are going to finance abortions, that would be, that would be the opposite of what we would view as an ethical purpose. We would view an ethical purpose as trying to keep babies alive and not to encourage abortion, certainly for no good reason. So, uh, and also if the money is going towards uh, diversity, so diversity might stand for certain types of rights that are not consistent with halakhic ethical values. So we have to be very, very careful about this. So there was a fund if you take a look at the, the materials in the Mara Mekomas, I hope you all have, um, so there, uh, the, there's a, I gave you a, a definition from Investopedia 
this is Investopedia is kind of investment-focused version of Wikipedia, I guess, and it defines ethical investing. The first, the practice of using one's ethical principles as the primary filter for the selection of securities investing. Ethical investing depends on the investor's views, of course. Ethical investing is sometimes used interchangeably with socially conscious investing, um, and ethical investing is different from socially conscious investing because it brings about a more personalized result. The idea is that it depends upon the person's ethical views. So if you look in AMI magazine, there's an article from February 5th, 2020 by Yossi Krauss, which asks this question, are, you inv- are your investments glock kosher? Uh, thinking about it from the from investor, from the Jewish investor perspective, who wants to do things according to Torah values. A new financial product is offering a way for investors to ensure that when they make money in the stock market, they're doing it with the strictest view of the cautious of that profit. The value, the idea of value investing or ethical investing is one that has been uh, popular on Wall Street for several decades. Uh, Muslim and Christians have uh, Muslims and Christians have for a long time had financial products that catered to their religious values, and then it seems that, that this is going back a few years already. The Magni Halakhic portfolio administered by I, I know nothing about Magni. This is not like a, a promo share for anything in particular, but this was uh, the portfolio that was described here. The Magni Halakhic portfolio administered by Magni Global Asset Management LLC using the guidelines and guidance of the Base of Bad Halakha Center which is a halakha center in Lakewood, is trying to sell Orthodox Jewish investors on that same idea, a way both to make money and to be assured one is adhering to halakha at the same time. Uh, and I saw in one article uh, that uh, this, is, uh, this idea is referred to as JRI, which is Jewish re- Jewishly Responsible Investment. It's a wordplay on SRI, which stands for Socially Responsible I- Investments. And it sounds like uh, this is a very logical uh, next step, that if there is an idea of ethical uh, funds, why not have one that promotes, you know, from uh, values. Take a look at Source 1. It's an article by uh, Schwartz, uh, Tamari, and Schwab. That would be Mark Schwartz, Mayor Tamari, and Daniel uh, Schwab in uh, the Business and Society Review from 2007. Um, which uh, defines social or ethical investment as a set of approaches which include social or ethical goals or constraints as well as more conventional financial criteria and decisions over whether to acquire or hold or disclose a particular investment and the way in which ethical mutual funds decide to invest or not invest somewhere or somewhere is they use screens or filters. Apparently, by using screens, you can see like what sort of items should automatically be excluded from the portfolio. So there is something known as a sin screen. So from the SIN screen, you're able to see if uh, there are certain products that, or certain funds that are investing in tobacco or alcohol or gambling or firearms or nuclear weapons, assuming that you said nuclear weapons that would get into the wrong hands, right? So you don't want to invest in those types of things. Others focus on child labor or animal rights, diversity or feminism. As I said, everybody according to their taste of what they consider to be a good value to invest in or not to invest in. Um, or product safety for that matter. And there were 200 such as socially responsible funds in the United States as of 2007. I don't think that there were less uh, now. But I wanted to look into this idea of the Magni Halakha portfolio and find out more about it. So I called up my friend, Rabbi Ari Marburger, 
uh, who's a Dayan in Lakewood and who's involved in that world. And I asked him if he knew anything about these Beis Habad guidelines. And he put me in touch with Rabbi Shlomo Hanigswax, who is a Dayan, whom I'm familiar with, a very fine Tamakachim as well, um, who apparently drafted the guidelines. So that was good. So Rabbi Hanigswax has shared the guidelines with me. He has a short version, he has a long version, what he calls the Ketzara Derech Harucha, Narucha Derech Ketzara. Um, so it's a good uh, 30 pages or so, a lot of it, you know, very impressive alumnus uh, uh, speaking about some of the different issues. But he gave me the caveat that he wasn't sure exactly what happened with this particular fund in the end, exactly how much Sliak it was. I hope it was much Sliak, but he wasn't really sure what eventually happened uh, to it. But I was able to at least see um, uh, some of the guidelines. And at the time uh, that uh, this, uh, these um, uh, ethical funds were gaining in popularity, there actually were a number of articles that were written by different um, uh, experts in halakha and economics in the Jewish uh, community who uh, wrote about this idea of ethical investments, including Rabbi Aaron Levine, who wrote an article in his uh, case studies of uh, Jewish business ethics, uh, Usher uh, Mayer, who uh, wrote an, an article about this in the Oxford Handbook of Judaism and Economics that was edited uh, by Rabbi Aaron Levine, and, I, uh, and an article in the, uh, in the article in the Business and Society Review that I just uh, mentioned by Schwartz, Tamari, and Schwab, and also an article in an installment of the Orthodox Forum on Jewish Business Ethics, which was the eighth volume of the Orthodox Forum, um, called uh, the and the volume was called The Firm and Its Stakeholders, and there's an article there by a Dr. Barry Bressler. So I saw at least four articles on the subject, and they're all very thoughtful articles that, that speak about what exactly would be the halakhic view, what are some of our priorities, um, some of our goals and objectives when we're speaking about a halakhic or halakhically appropriate or ethical investing from a halakhic perspective. So there are really two areas of focus that I could see, uh, two primary areas of focus. One is really purely halakhic that there are certain areas where it might be usher, for example, to be a partner or a shareholder or derive a benefit in uh, certain types of investments. Like, for example, if you're going to be part of a company or you're going to be a major shareholder, will you have some say uh, in a company that is working, running on Shabbos, for example, and you're getting Sky Shabbos and you're getting, uh, you're getting benefit from the work that's done on Shabbos and you have the ability to stop it. If you're an owner, we've spoken about this in the past when we spoke about Shabbos partnerships, if you own a business, so you're supposed to see to it that the business doesn't run on Shabbos, or at least that you divest yourself of your ownership of the business on Shabbos. Or, for example, it deals with comments. Uh, Chametz is okay most of the year, but it's not okay on Pesach, so then you have problems. Or it deals with idolatry. You have a company that makes money, I don't know, manufacturing idols and selling idols, then you would have some, some trouble. There aren't too many of those, as far as I can tell. Or Bust of a Cholov. You know, there's a, an article that was written by George Lintz a number of years ago, a very fine article, made you invest in McDonald's. Uh, or you have an investment where this is a much more common situation, where there's a lot of collection of loans, of interest from loans that are being extended. A lot of investment portfolios have to do with mortgages and loans and things of that sort, where uh, there may be Jews who are lending money to Jews, banking institutions owned by Jews that are lending to individual Jews, uh, where there certainly would be a problem of, of ribbis. Uh, so that's United, one realm. Being uh, the United States is a role volume, it wasn't, that wouldn't make 
Well, then you might have to look at uh, the specific investment. If you, let's say, you have uh, the ability to pick and choose, and you know that there are certain entities where it's rogue Jews who are lending with interest, and you have the ability to avoid investing in that entity. So wouldn't it be preferable if you would avoid uh, investing in that entity and only invest in entities that have a heterisco or that are owned by rogue non-Jews, assuming that that would be a a good enough uh, barometer? Uh, so that's one realm, which is uh, the purely halakhic realm, which is staying away from Isser. And then there's what I would call more the ethical realm, the ethical realm of not being involved in things that would simply be a chilul Hashem, if you're going to be involved in it. Uh, like, for example, where you're promoting uh, immoral activity or uh, activity uh, which is... Which, uh, is uh, uh, which uh, profits uh, from uh, from gambling and things of uh, that variety uh, that either draws upon prurient instincts or uh, addictions uh, that are unhe- unhealthy for uh, for individuals. Are you creating a fill Hashem through your participation? And uh, I think these two different realms, the hala, the purely halakhic realm and the ethical realm, also go to what might be a double-edged charge when we think about what it means uh, to utilize our money in a mamon kasher uh, type of uh, fashion. What does mamon kasher mean? Mamon kasher means my money is kosher money, that it hasn't been derived from illegitimate sources, but I'm also using it for kosher purposes, that we believe, uh, ethically speaking, that there really are two uh, different goals that we have in terms of how we live our lives. There's the sormeira, that we're supposed to stay away from anything which is bad, illicit, uh, anti-halakhic, but there's also va'asetov. There's also that we want to use our uh, money for good, uh, productive, uh, constructive uh, purposes that, that lead to um, a fulfillment of uh, mitzvahs, that lead to making the world into a, a better a better place. So in that article that was authored by the multiple authors, uh, the one by uh, Schwartz and Tamari and Schwab that I have is the first source, uh, so he does point out, at least even at the time this article was written, which is back in 2007, now 17 years ago, um, uh, that there was an Israeli firm at that time in Hilat Shoham um, uh, that uh, did in fact have a targeted investment portfolio that they only invested in businesses. Now remember, this is an Israeli firm, so it makes sense, you know, thinking about uh, from their perspective, they're investing sort of in the Israeli world, where most people are Jewish, when you talk about Rav, people Jewish, so they made sure that they only invest in firms that did not do business on Shabbos and So that was the way in which they dealt with it. Maybe, I'm not sure about this, it's not entirely clear, but it could be that they also were careful about ribis issues to make sure there was no prohibited interest, but their focus was more on the first objective, namely just making sure you stay away from halakhic problems as opposed to the second objective of seeing to it that you are promoting things that are of a high ethical um, caliber. Now, Rabbi Aaron Levine, in his article, which I've only had access to uh, this past week, uh, secondhand, but he writes about investing in a company, Rawley Tobacco. That's sort of, he made up the name of it. He's very good at making up case scenarios. He has a couple of books where he makes up all kinds of very elaborate case scenarios, uh, case studies, um, the moral marketplace. Uh, So he uh, talks about the question of investing in a company called Rawley Tobacco, which manufactures cigarettes that cause death and disease. Is that something which is permissible? So he says that it would be a violation of a number of different principles. He says that would cause there to be a problem with any Jewish person investing in something which is going to have such a corrosive effect on society. Number one, he says... 
he thinks think it would be a violation of Lo Saman al Damriyaka. He gets us to page two, he quotes the Pasuk in Bayikra, Perak Yutes, Lo Saman Damriyaka, you're not allowed to stand idly by your neighbor's blood. Um, that anything that he says that you are helping to facilitate and to foster and to promote something which is going to cause disease, it's going to cause people to get sick and to die. Um, so he thinks that, that this violates uh, really an extension of this principle that you're really supposed to take affirmative steps. We've spoken about this before. Look at Rashi and Sanhedrin, Dafai and Gimel. The idea of Los Taman and Damriyaki is supposed to take affirmative steps in order to see to it that, that people should stay alive and, and not die. So that's number one. Does number he also two. Make, does he believe cigarettes are us, uh, I think he does. Uh, number, I think he does. Uh, but he would say that even if you, before you would get to that, it, it's it's going to ultimately cause people to to die and to get sick. Uh, so once upon a time, it, it wasn't necessarily as conclusive, as definitive as it is today. But after the studies that have been conducted over the past number of decades, we know that it's pretty um, unmistakable uh, at this point in time. Number two, he speaks about the issue of Hanufa. Losa Hanifa es Aris is a whole sugya in Mesata Sota, Dapa Mem Aleph, Dapa Mem Base, that when Agrippa Samela got up to read from Parshas Hakil, and he was descended from Hordu, so he was descended from Abadim, and he read that he wasn't really supposed to be a Melech, because he read Los Chalaseis Alecha Ishnachri, so he started crying, and all the people who were gathered said, Don't worry, Agrippa, Saltisiare, Agrippa, Sachinoa, Ata, Chinoa, Ata, you're our brother, you're our brother, you're okay. Um, but he wasn't really okay because he wasn't supposed to be king because he was descended from Avadim. The Gemara says, At that point in time, uh, there was a punishment that was pronounced upon the Jewish people because they were doing Chanupa because uh, they were encouraging something that was very wrong. So you're investing in an activity which is fundamentally wrong. It could be pornography. It could be something of this sort. Um, so the fact that you're investing in it, so that's a form, says Rabbi Levine, that's a form of Hanifa, and therefore it would be a, a violation of flattery, flattery, encouragement of something which is really fundamentally wrong. And also he says that, that it's a violation of uh, the obligation, it's in Vayikra, the same parak, Yutes, Pasuk Yud Zayin, of Hochiach Tochiach Esamisecha, that you're supposed to uh, provide rebuke and uh, reproach um, to reprimand uh, those who are doing the wrong things if you're going to invest in those who are doing the wrong things. It's kind of like the opposite of uh, the rebuke that you're supposed to uh, be giving. But and this thing may be abhorrent to us, but if, as he pointed out, that we live in a society where most of that government goes likely the ones who are going to be engaging in these activities will be going uh, so he says that, uh, that yes, we do have a, a responsibility for society at large, meaning a lot of these things are really uh, prohibited uh, for them as well. They're not supposed to bring about the death of other individuals, and we're not supposed to bring about the death of other individuals. We're not supposed to, um, uh, we're not supposed to add... Uh, to Tuma in society, we're supposed to be Mekadesh, the world around us. We're supposed to be Metaya. We're supposed to purify the world around us. 
so uh, certainly uh, a lot of uh, the Averus that we're trying to avoid, whether in the realm of Giloy Arayos or whether in uh, the uh, realm of Ritzicha, uh, are things that are improper for them. But, but we also have to bear in mind that society doesn't only consist of them, society also consists of us. So even if we're only thinking about us and the effect that we're going to have on our own brethren, so it's impossible to say that what happens to society is not going to have an effect on us as well. Uh, you know, there's a safer... With, with or without our mind, they're doing it. Uh, but this is promoting it. This is actually... We're, we're, we're playing... We're, we're, instead of our playing a constructive society role of saying this is something which is really not so good, this is not something which... Uh, maybe I can't stop you from doing it, um, but at least I can voice my opinion that this is something that we critique, but it takes away from my own moral authority if, I'm number one, I'm not critiquing it, and number two, I'm actually promoting it. So I'm failing to observe Ocheyak Tocheyak, and I'm, that's true, Ocheyak Tocheyak is really towards fellow Jews. It's true, that's true towards fellow Jews. But he says that uh, I have sort of a, a broader societal obligation. It's like the Sefer Hasidim says about, uh, that we learn from Yonah Hanavi, that we see from Yonah that he was sent to, to warn the people of Nineveh about all of their corrupt practices, that even if it doesn't fall squarely within the Mitzvah Deraisa of Ocheyach Tocheyach, there still is certainly a Midas Chasidus, there certainly is a, a proper mode of behavior that even that we're supposed to go to the world at large and protest things that, that they're not supposed to be doing, that are violations of Zion Mitzvah Spideinach, that are violations of societal morality, things of that sort. So it would fall into that category Category, even to the degree that it wouldn't strictly qualify for Ocheyach Tochiyach uh, towards the Jewish uh, population. But it also doesn't send a good message towards the Jewish population either. The Chaim Biyadis, or Chaim Palaji, this is a source that I have. If you take a look in uh, source 28, a little bit further on, so he talks about Atam HaKacham, who's trying to make a living, you know, Atam HaKacham trying to make a, a little bit of uh, money, and uh, he ends up getting um, into a business where he's essentially making arrangements for prostitution. I don't know what the official word might be, pimp, I'm not, I don't know if that's a good word or not, but this is essentially the business that he ends up in, uh, getting involved with. And then the question is, is this, he was sort of pushed into it by some of his colleagues, um, so maybe he got in with a bad crowd, but he's making some money. And the question is, is this something that is okay from a strictly halakhic perspective for him to be involved with if everybody is not Jewish? Well, Everybody's anyway. not Jewish. So take a look at them. Sorry? It's illegal. Um, let's assume that it wasn't necessarily <laughs> illegal. Where it, this is in 19th century Turkey, Izmir, whatever. Okay. So I don't know whether it was illegal per se. Um, but in, if you take a look in the second paragraph, Shuva Michayim Etzkilat Soich Anokli Bar Isuzela Susarsus Barberes Nus to be involved in this type of an enterprise. Afilu Yugoyim Goyes Penuyos. Even if I'm not even dealing with adultery among non-Jews, I'm dealing with single non-Jewish men and single non-Jewish women, he says, you still should not do it. He says that this would be definitely prohibited to be involved in this type of cure. And certainly, with respect to somebody who's a Tavachacham, where it says, that you have to stay away from houses of ill repute. 
even if, and he's assuming, even if I'm dealing with people who are completely non-Jewish, nonetheless, it is um, still considered to be an extension of what we call nibble, like a nibble pet. When we speak about the prohibition to uh, say words uh, which are nibble pet, which are considered to be uh, inappropriate language, what's considered to be the most blatant manifestation of inappropriate uh, foul language. Foul language in our tradition is language which which is explicit about promiscuity. That is the the most foul type of language. Take a look at the last sentence over here. This is a giant iser. And he says, You might say it'll happen even without him because there's a violation of you're not supposed to place a stumbling block before a blind person. And that is generally on a derisive level that applies when the person wouldn't be able to commit the Avera without your facilitating it. So that's called Trey Ibranara. I'm on one side of the river, there's a Nazir who's on the other side of the river and wants to drink some wine, and if not for my passing him the cup of wine, he wouldn't have access to wine. If it's other access, it's not an Isra Derisa. But he says, even if there'll be other people who would be involved in making these immoral, uh, uh, promiscuous uh, arrangements, I'll call Zeh Adam Chashub Dagechem Lomdim Imenu Yeshli Zayr. He says, if I'm dealing with an Adam Chashif, here I'm dealing with a Tamar Chacham, um, that uh, certainly qualifies as a uh, Tamar Chacham. He comes from, uh, as an Adam Chashif, he comes from a, he's a Yari Shemayim, he comes from Mishpachas Rom, he comes from an exalted, uh, well-reputed uh, family. And even though there are plenty of people who might do this type of thing, nonetheless, if they see this fellow doing it, if they see somebody who is a from Erlich, a fellow from a good family involved in this enterprise, and they'll multiply in their immorality ten times over. When they see that somebody who is an Orthodox Jew, a Tamachokam, a Kolo fellow, that he's involved in investing in immorality, in immorality, so it's going to increase immorality in the world. And even, it sounds like, from what Rechaim Palaji is saying, within our own Jewish community, and therefore, this person is going to cause a kotiyamachi. So I think it's going to cause a greater abeira in the world. So I think that's part of what Rabbi Levine is getting at as well. Rabbi Levine also says that there is a halachta bidrachav imperative as well. In terms of emulating a Kaddish Baruch Hu, that there is an obligation. Rabbi Levine sometimes gets a little bit uh, fanciful in terms of applying the philosophy of halakha to the application of halakha. Those who knew Rabbi Levine, so of course a great halakhist and economist, um, he was uh, prone to doing that, to using sort of general moral categories and applying them in concrete halakhic settings. So he says that if it, you think about Rav Soloveitchik's notion of uh, when he speaks about in Parshas Bereshis of the way Adam Arishon is described in two different ways, and because there's Adam 1, Adam 2, um, that, that there is Adam Arishon as uh, the man of conquest, man of self-actualization, 
We're supposed to realize his godlike potential in terms of conquering the world, the way in which we take over the world should be in a fashion of responsibility, in a fashion of transcendence, in a fashion in which we're uplifting the world rather than uh, degrading, uh, degrading the world. But he also acknowledges that, that uh, the amount in which your investment in any particular company is going to send a message in terms of our concern of like the Chilul Hashem aspect that Rav Chaim Palaji speaks about when he speaks about a person who's like the main investor in a prostitution uh, enterprise, Rachman al-Itzlan. So if you're a small investor and your name is not even listed among the big investors, so it probably has less of an effect. And he talks about what is, and he, from his perspective, you shouldn't, if the whole investment that you're investing in is something like a house of ill repute, obviously you shouldn't invest at all. But at what point in time does your investment become significant, it becomes a significant issue? He thinks that if it's a 5% or more investment, then it creates a higher level of ethical responsibility because then when the company has to list its disclosure of investors, anybody who has a 5% or more investment, that name has to be disclosed. I saw Diane Shlomo Cohen has an article in which he says it's 3%, a little bit of a machlokis, but whatever it would be, um, when you would reach that threshold, so then you have an even higher level of responsibility, not that if you know that you're investing in an illegitimate enterprise, that it would be okay if it's less than 5% or okay if it's less than 3%, but maybe it imposes upon you more of a responsibility to check and see exactly where your money is going once you're going to reach that, um, that threshold. Uh, then, on the other side of the spectrum, you have the responsibility of those who are entrusted for the purpose of investing money. Let's say that you are a Jewish manager of an investment fund for the community. Lots of people are giving their money to you. These are some of the cases that we get in Besden, right? Where somebody gives their money to an investor and they say, I think that there was fraud in how the money was invested. It wasn't invested the way that it was supposed to be, the way that it was claimed. I think there's securities fraud. And we have some major cases that have occurred uh, in the community over the past couple of decades. The most famous, of course, is the Madoff case. Um, but, but there's also responsibility regarding those who are the custodians of money in terms of the ethical way in which you treat the investors um, in investing in those types of products and those types of items that are consistent with the expectations of the investors and also that are responsible. There is a discussion uh, by the Nose of Yehuda and others respectfully regarding those who were responsible. You look in page two of the materials, those who are responsible like an apotropist. An apotropist means a custodian of funds, those who are responsible for investing the funds of Yisomim, of orphans. And there's a question, should Bezdin do it themselves? And the Ramah and Simon Reish Tzadi and Mishpat says, the Yisomim, the Gamma Mos, Mamidim, apotropist, Better to have not the Bezdin itself, but some very responsible financial, uh, a, a, a financial investor who is an expert in, uh, in, an expert when it comes to monetary investments. She also Bezdin is a busy pasking Shilos, but he's a, a financial wizard, and he's going to be more savvy in terms of investing uh, investing the money. But 
you make sure that it be somebody with a good reputation. Somebody who was never placed in the Chayrim by Bezdin. That's always a good indication. And when it comes to most of Yisomim, he's even allowed to invest it in such a way that there's a greater level of guarantee of their profit with things that would otherwise be usher as ribis drabanim would be permissible with respect to, to uh, Yisomim. There was a question in Ode Behuda dealt with of an apotropist who invested money um, with respect to, to uh, those, uh, an investment that looked like it was pretty good, but he didn't really make sure that there would be appropriate collateral. And now the question is whether he has an obligation to pay back uh, the orphans for the fact that he ended up losing uh, the money. And uh, he says, well, I really did my absolute best. And they say, yeah, but how could you possibly have uh, given it without uh, pr- appropriate uh, collateral? So the Noda Behuda says that it really depends on how much latitude was given to uh, this uh, individual by the Bezdin. If the Bezdin gave the person a lot of uh, latitude and they said you could do Hatobe Enoch, um, so then he would not be responsible. But if they told him that he had to follow sort of the normal rules of prudence when it comes to investment, and then he didn't see to it that there would be appropriate collateral, um, so then says the Noda Behuda, even if uh, he invested the money in somebody who was uh, turning around a very good uh, profits and uh, had a good track record, but uh, the but he did not follow the normal protocols to ensure that there be a mashkon batuach to make sure that there be a good uh, safety net. Uh, for uh, for the money, so not only is it considered to be poshea, but it's considered to be mazik. It's considered to be outright damage for which he would be liable for any uh, damages. And some of uh, this is uh, Spitz uh, has an article about a uh, about somebody who was investing charitable funds who was similarly negligent in terms of not making sure that, that there would be proper collateral, that, that there was a proper investigation of uh, the person with whom the funds were invested. It was one of these Ponzi scheme type situations and says that there would be real liability over there. It's interesting because one of the authors, Usher Mayer, I think, in his article talks about how one organization that was spared from the whole uh, Madoff debacle was actually the UJA Federation. It's the UJA Federation. He says, how was it that the UJA Federation was spared? Because they had very clear protocols. They didn't necessarily have inside information that this guy was a swindler, per se, but that they had protocols that, that they put into place in order to ensure that Kehillah Shagelt uh, and not to be improperly invested, to be responsibly invested. And they had two protocols that Madoff was not able to satisfy, and therefore they didn't invest with him. One protocol was that they don't invest with a, uh, with a, a, a particular investment portfolio unless the manager of the portfolio is willing to meet with the investment committee to answer questions. It turns out that Madoff refused to meet with the investment committee to answer questions. So they didn't satisfy that protocol. Number two, they required that the securities themselves be held by an independent custodian, which he also refused because he didn't have any. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the explanation that he gave, but they had their checklist. They weren't able to. They weren't able to check these particular boxes, and therefore they protected themselves. And so too, um, that this becomes uh, the responsibility of uh, those who are uh, charged 
with uh, investing funds on behalf of uh, the community. So if you think about it, it's not only those who are investing the charitable funds for the community, but anybody who's given that level of responsibility to invest funds, whatever it is, you have to establish reasonable protocols in which you're protecting the money. So this is also part of when we speak about responsible investing. It's not only coming from the standpoint of the investor. It's coming from the standpoint of the managers of the funds as well. Otherwise, it really violates the Lipnei Eber mandate. It's interesting. Take a look. This is also an article I saw by Rabbi Aaron Tendler, who quoted the article by Rabbi Svi Spitz, which I then looked at. It's in Cases of Monetary Halakha, if you want to see it. Um, it quotes from the Gemara Bar Metziah, Taf Mem Beisam and Aleph, Amar Rabbi Yitzchak, Le'olam Yashlish Odem Is Ma'osav, Shlish Bekako, Shlish Befrakmati, Shlish Tachas Yodo, that there has to, that part of when we speak about investing, Part of ethical investing is also not losing other people's money and also being careful in terms of the way that you invest your own money. That you should always make sure to keep a third which is available. That's tachas yodo. Only a third should be in investments which carry with them a greater sense of risk. Shlish pekarka. A third in real estate which has a lower level of risk. So the Gemara gives you advice basically on how to balance your portfolio responsibly. That's also when we speak about from a halakhic perspective, um, a proper investment, it's not only what you invest in, but also the level of risk that you assume. You shouldn't place yourself as a burden upon the community. You shouldn't be irresponsible on behalf of other investors who have placed your money uh, with you. And you think about the people who lost out. In the case of Madoff, there were a lot of Torah institutions that ended up losing money. I know of one in particular where uh, I was uh, affiliated that ended up losing a a lot of money and really suffering tremendously from it. There were poor widows, there were elderly widows that lost their savings. Um, So it really does go back uh, to this notion of the responsibility towards Yisomim and the the community. Um, Now, what uh, Asher Mayer focuses upon in his article as well is not only the Sormeira type of aspect, which we can go into a little bit uh, more, but the Asetov. And he comes up with three different, uh, three different areas where he believes that it's appropriate to have a focus when you are engaged in investing money, when looking for appropriate investments um, to make money from in order to advance uh, the goals of what the Torah wants us to spend our money on. One is, if you look at the Ramam in Source 10, there's Shmona Malos Yesh Pitztaka. There are different, eight different levels of Pitztaka. What's the highest level of Pitztaka? That's Matzah B'yad Yisrael. That's if you give, you strengthen the hands of a Jew in order to help somebody to give them a loan. Or Osei Shutfus. Or you enter into a partnership with them. Or you give them some work to do so that they won't be Yitzharek Lebrios. In other words, um, investing in the funds that are going to give individuals employment. Individuals in our community, in the Jewish community, people who might otherwise suffer trying to find, uh, trying to make a living, you invest in those types of companies. Think of IDF. Think of companies that, that really provide an income for individuals are making money at the same time. They're run by savvy individuals. They have a good business plan, but they're also helping people make a pernasa. That's one, uh, one value to look at. 
Second value, he quotes this from the Ksam Sofer, who talks about the discussion in the Gemara in Brachos um, in, uh, uh, between Rabbi uh, Yishmael and Rabbi Shimon of Ben Yochai about whether uh, you should work for a living or whether you should just learn all day and rely upon your living uh, coming from, I don't know where, um, from uh, benefactors and the like. Um, so he says that Everybody would agree that if you're dealing with, uh, he says, Rabbi Shum Ben Yochai, who says that you should basically sit uh, sit and learn, and Rabbi Nahorai, in the end of Masechus Kedushin, in the Mishnah over there, who says, that I'm only going to teach my son to sit and learn, he says that, Rabbi Shum Ben Yochai, Rabbi Nahorai, he says that really that would be true in the that would be true if under normal circumstances. But Mishum Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. But he says that if I'm dealing with Yishuv Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, then he says that this is a separate desideratum that you want to contribute to the economy of Eretz Yisrael. That when it comes to Eretz Yisrael, um, he says uh, that's a different story. Look at the second to last line. They're talking about when Eretz Yisrael is not in the picture. And, and all of the work of the land is going to be taken care of by other people. They don't need us. However, um, however, he says that in Eretz Yisrael, where you're contributing to Yishuv Eretz Yisrael, that we don't have others to rely upon to do the work. So then there is a special mitzvah uh, that you're supposed to invest in Eretz Yisrael. So that sort of goal number two is that there is a special, and this is something which is particularly relevant right now, we have to war in Eretz Yisrael, the importance of making investments that are going to invest in the Eretz Yisrael economy. That's a number two. And the third thing that he talks about is uh, the idea of Yishuv Olam. The Yishuv Olam in our Now the Chsam Sofer in Source Twelve speaks about Yishuv Olam in the context of Eretz Yisrael, of course, when we're going to play a major role in investing in every single enterprise, every single business that's in our hands. But if you look at the Gemara in Shabbos, Adaf Lamed Gimel Amud Beis, the Gemara there talks about just Yaakov entering into Er Shalem. Now, granted, Yaakov, Yaakov, I'm sorry, Er Shalem, Yaakov Shalem, Er Shalem. It is in Eretz Yisrael, but before we had ownership of the land, and it said that since he was rescued from his brother Esau, he felt that he had a duty to contribute to society. And the way he was contributing to society, according to one opinion, is that he enacted a currency system for them, that he uh, invested in financial products that helped to make the economy run more efficiently. Shmuel says, that he developed a marketplace, that he established bathhouses for them, that we see that there is a notion of contributing positively to the society around us. Now, when you're getting engaged in society, so the Medrash says he also established to whom? He also established boundaries. So my Rebbe Rav Shekta likes to say, yeah, get involved in contributing to society, but make sure that you enact boundaries and fences as to how much you're going to enmesh yourself into society. But he says that we see that there is a notion of contributing 
positively to your surroundings, whatever your surroundings happen to be, that you should make a positive contribution as opposed to a contribution in things that really do not uplift society. So you're going to uplift the marketplace. You're going to, you're going to contribute products that are going to be beneficial and useful uh, to make society a better society, more economically viable society. So then that could be something which is appropriate. Okay. So I just want to focus now for a moment on the Sormeira aspect. So what are some of the pitfalls when we say that you have to avoid the sort of the halakhic problems? So we mentioned Halakhic problems could be that you're going to invest in companies that are going to do work on Shabbos that are going to charge ribbis, um, where it's a Jew collecting from a Jew that are going to own chumets on Pesach, that are going to do investment, things that are prohibited, things that are like things of that variety. So there's a general shuva that Ramosha Feinstein has. This is source 14 on page 4. Ramosha Feinstein says, because the question that he was asked was, can you invite, take shares in a company to do malach or business on Shabbos? So he says that he thinks that the reason why people don't worry about this, that Tom Pashachin, the Hakshivis, the shares, Shurak Mahashumir He says that those who are not able to express an opinion regarding how the enterprise should run, how the fund should run, if we're talking about a mutual fund, nobody cares about them because their investment is so little. He says that's not considered to be ownership. That's like as if you were just some sort of a lender that you loan money and you're getting back dividends from the money that you loan. It's not as if like that's the way the Maharam Shik famously looked at uh, buying shares. Uh, even though the Maharshag objected to the Maharam Shik, he said, well, if you're the lender, who exactly is the borrower? Um, because it's all just a bunch of shareholders, so who's the borrower? But Ramosha would say that if your share is basically so little that you really don't have a voice, then it doesn't really count for purposes of being considered an owner when the business operates on Shabbos. And you can extend this as well to the idea of chumis. You can extend it to the idea of ribbis. You can extend it really to all of the other different areas. The Minchas Yitzchak in um, the Moshe's in Chelek Aleph Simen Zayin Ebenez. And the Minchas Yitzchak in Chelek Gimel Simen Aleph has a different litmus test. His litmus test is that if you have the right to vote, like you ever get a prospectus from whatever funds you have, like at the end of the year, you get like 300 pages in the mail and you don't know, like it goes straight into the recycling bin, you know, right, like without even a moment's hesitation. But you're basically given the ability to vote. So says the Minchas Yitzchak, you could vote. But who's going to be the uh, who's going to be the president? Who's going to be the CEO? Who's going to be uh, the, on the board? Whatever. So then you do have some stake in the company, and then you that gives you responsibility. However, uh, the opinion of the Minchas Yitzchak hasn't really, I think, taken hold. There is a fund apparently in Israel, like the Badatz, where Dayan Shlomo Kohen talks about this oversees some sort of a fund that only invests in companies where the shareholders have no right to vote, something like that. So if you're a shareholder, you'll have no right to, to vote. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Uh, but uh, Moshe would say the right to vote is not terribly meaningful when nobody really cares about what you say. And, you're, and the person, you're not investing for purposes of registering a vote anyway. There are others who say that when I'm dealing with anything which is of a corporate nature, the Rogachev are going, Famously at a statement, it's like a chomer below tzura. 
It's like a body without a form. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't really have any mamashus. It's uh, not uh, considered to be uh, that any human being uh, is a real owner of the entity. More recently, Ravasha Weiss um, has uh, this idea as well that every corporation is a guf mishpati bipnei atzmo, that it's considered to be just basically a standalone legal entity, but nobody really has any ownership rights, and uh, therefore um, he subscribes to that notion as well. But Rabbi Yashiv, who I think is uh, somebody that is very much relied upon when it comes to bottom line halacha nowadays, he simply says that he's comfortable with the Rav Moshe test. If you look in page 6 to 17 from the Kovitz Chuvos Chela Gimel of Rav El Yashiv, he says that most of the Pshiti that Barnamem Elish Etzlam Rova Manios. He says, first of all, he would assume, and this was a position that was attributed to Rav Aaron Cutler, Rav Shmuel Hanigswax quotes him, quotes Rav Shlomo Miller, who quotes Rav Cutler at length, uh, that we generally, if we are going to identify like sort of the, um, the, the entity as being Jewish and not Jewish in terms of having responsibility when it comes to Chomet, Shabbos, all these other things. So we look at who owns the majority of the shares. Like Rabbi Barber said, the majority are non-Jews, so then we don't really worry about it so much. What's the Svara? Do we say it's Bito? It's hard to say. It's no Taruvis. If I know exactly who the Jewish minority shareholders are, I don't know exactly how this Bito per se, but he says that's in terms of just identifying the responsibility of the investors. I go after the role. But then he also quotes from, from Moshe. And Mamoshe would seem to be potentially applicable even if I had a majority of Jewish investors, but each one only has a teeny tiny little share. He says, That if I did have an individual Jewish shareholder who just didn't have any kind of a voice that anybody cared about, so then, since he has no dea, it's an only considered to be pitule, pitume mili biyama. The right that he has to vote is only considered to be a kind of just a blandishment um, that we give the person as a, uh, as a door prize, uh, so to speak, to make them feel good, but it does not necessarily mean anything. Kilamaisa, everybody else, is Mishayon Le'asman Yosem Merov as the majority. Certainly that works out best when the majority are non-Jews, and uh, therefore he also seems to accept that notion that I don't really need to, I don't really need to worry about it in that particular uh, context. But that's in terms of worrying about just the halachic problems. When it comes to ribis, Shlomo Miller, quoted by Rav Wax, also quotes a heter from the Maharik, if you take a look at source 20 in the materials, that says, and this is a very interesting heter, let's say that the investment fund is made up of Jews, but there's a manager of the fund who's investing the funds, and he happens to be not Jewish, and the manager gets a, uh, he gets a cut of the profits of any interest transaction, so it's kind of like a rhesus, where it's a ledaita denaf sheka'ovid, and he's the one who's doing it for himself to make the profits. The Maharik, for some reason, seems to indicate that that would um, mitigate the problem of ribis. He saw shenosamos to ovikachor miiskel isasik ben machtiskar vehilgavem ovikachavim, and he's going to get uh, he's going to get a cut of the profits. He saw ribis. Even though the one who is providing the funds to the non-Jew who's getting a cut of the profits knows that some of the money is going to be loaned directly to other Jews 
from money that came from Jews, we call Malcolm Shari. Nonetheless, it's Mutter. That's a big Chiddush. I wouldn't say that we necessarily would hold that way, but he says something also to rely upon, especially together with all the other considerations. Right. So it happens that the Kitzvah Shulchan Arach famously was very worried in any bank situation about ribbis. I don't know that everybody is. So one of the things that they suggest is just make a heter iska kloli. Go some, and I know that people do this. It was suggested like an Arab Pesach when you sell your comments, go to the rub and make a heter iska kloli for all your transactions. Say to whatever degree there might be some sort of a ribbis, a problem with some of the funds of mine that are being invested, I'm hereby turning it into an iska. So you, you, there is such a possibility of making such a, uh, such a declaration. So I wanted to just quickly uh, cut it since we're running out of time. The base of Bad, really a beautiful, beautiful uh, essay by um, Rabbi Honigswax. So he has uh, different categories of uh, things that he says, he suggested to this Magni Fund that if you are going to take uh, Jewish money, and you're going to invest it in various um, in various investments, and you want it to be sort of an ethical investment from a halakhic perspective. Obviously, you want to avoid the halakhic pitfalls, and some of that has to do with what the majority investors are made of, and you have to ensure that there, if there would be otherwise uh, ribbis problems based on the identity of the investors and the way that the funds are invested, you have to make sure that there's a heterisco. You would have to uh, make sure that those things were uh, were taken care of. And if there were investments in uh, items that would be asa bahana, so then he has some sort of a suggestion of saying that none of those shall be attributed to the Jewish investors, although I have a kasha on that based on the Gemara and Kedushin Zion, but assuming that you would be able to avert those particular pitfalls. He says he has six different categories of companies that should be excluded from a portfolio. Number one, and this is really the Sor Meirah, avoid a company of which 51% or more is owned by Jews, um, who, have Jewish, who, have lead, um, who have legal control, which is not operating in conformance with halakhic law, because then you're going to have all the problems with Shabbos and Clements and all the other things. So that's number one, okay? Um, and, and if you do have those issues, and he says, yes, it says also do, do a, do a heterisco, uh, and have a mechiras comments. Uh, and I do this. When I sell a commerce before Pesach, I write in that anybody who has shares in any company that owns commerce that it's being, that they're selling the commerce, uh, from those shares. I, I put that in anyway. So that's what he says to do that, yes, sir, says, even though according to Ravasha Weiss, it's probably not necessary from a, a corporate body because you don't really have ownership. Number two, a company that manufactures or sells merchandise or offers a service which is publicly, publicly seen as immoral. And his argument here is that if it's publicly seen as immoral, then you are, even if there would be no actual Isser involved, to get to what Moshe Menachem was speaking about earlier, um, you still have the Chilu Hashem concern. You have the Chilu Hashem concern. And he says you can avoid that through the abortion negative screen if you're going to, certainly if we consider abortion to be a sin, uh, even for, for non Jews as well, question if there'd be a, uh, obviously, uh, if there would be danger to the life of the mother, that might be mutter for them as well. There's a toast about that, but in many cases, that's not what we're talking about. The curbing pornography negative screen, obviously pornography is a problem. Also to be excluded are companies which manufacture firearms for individual purchase. Now here, of course, in Chicago, we sometimes 
are in favor of concealed carry when it's to protect uh, the community when it's being and you have people who are well trained and who are part of a shul security plan or holding firearms. That's a different story. But when you're talking about uh, simply supporting firearms that are being sold uh, to people who have shady backgrounds, so the Gemara in the indicates that you're not even you're not allowed. You're not allowed to sell firearms uh, to non-Jews who could uh, use it to to, uh, to commit pogroms against the Jewish community. And even you saw a list in, even a Jewish person who's abandoned, and he's, even if he isn't known to be somebody who commits a violence, nonetheless, uh, the Iran has a, a statement. If you look at source 22, in Yadua, even if he's not a murderer, but he's somebody of shady character, since he's of a shady character, he might use that firearm for a nefarious purpose if the opportunity, if the occasion uh, presents itself, and unfortunately we know how that goes on in society nowadays, and therefore I give him credit that that's included in the, uh, in the exclusionary activities for which uh, it is being suggested that uh, this fund would not invest in that is following Jewish ethical practices. Number three, a company, and I don't think this happens too often, I hope not, a company in which a majority of its business is the manufacture or sale of idols. Okay? Anybody knows of such companies, you'll let me know. Number four, this would also include marijuana companies. Um, we have more of those nowadays. If it's talking about a medical marijuana company, I think that's okay. But if you're going to invest in recreational marijuana, that's problematic. But Moshe says that that's something which is a double usher. It's something which leads to immorality in society. It's something which leads to a degeneration of society. Certainly within the Jewish community, those who are high on marijuana are not high on Torah and mitzvot. Number five, companies which are known to advertise in a manner which conspicuously seeks to arouse prurient instincts. And number six, from a Jewish perspective as well, company which are public, companies which are publicly associated with, uh, with, with, with denigrating Rahman uh, al the name of a Kaddish Baruch Hu, which are publicly associated with attempts to limit religious practice, promote atheism and agnosticism. Because of the subjective nature of this criteria, I suggest relegating this to a positive screen and grading companies with regard to this issue. What does he mean by that? What he means is that it's kind of difficult sometimes to figure out which are the companies which are denigrating the name of Hashem. So you look for companies that are promoting religiosity and the names of Hashem. And he has, in the name of Hashem, excuse me, and he has the same thing with respect to when you're trying to avoid, and this is also very important from a Jewish ethical perspective, a company which has unethical business practices, such as overcharging customers or not, defrauding customers, Geneva's Das, some of the things that we've spoken about in this year, that that's not a type of company that you want to promote, or child labor, things of this sort. But he says sometimes there's a lot of lush and horror. People speak about different companies accusing them of these practices and it's not necessarily something which is substantiated. So here as well, he, um, he recommends, because of the inconclusive nature of any research regarding this screen, I would accept the recommendation to consider this area for the positive screen where no company would be banned, but rather you would award companies for good behavior so you see that there's a company that's particularly ethical in the way that it treats its workers and the like and the way in which it treats its customers 
Torah, so you should go out of your way to support those companies as well. So I'll just conclude and point out that the Gemara in Shabbos says that the first question that is asked of us in Shemayim is Nasasa Minasata Ben Did you conduct yourself with integrity in all of your business dealings. So one thing that we don't think about so much is because nowadays the tendency is you get your money in and you just give it to your investment funds, to your portfolio, to your pension fund or whatever. You don't necessarily think so much about the individual investments. You leave that to the discretion of others. It's important to remember at the end of the day, HaKadosh Baruch is going to hold us responsible. How much did you pay attention to where your money was going? How you were making additional money. So therefore, we have to, we have to recognize that not only do we have the ownership in that money, but we have to take ownership in terms of how we invest our money to really ensure that it be mamun kosher. Okay, so the answer share. We'll continue next week in my six. So, so if, if you want to invest in company X, you have to invest today company X.